I did grow up in what many people consider to be a cult. It's called the Unification Church, and it was led by this Korean man named Reverend Sun Myung Moon. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brienne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves and others. You know, those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave are those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Mamina. Now, Mamina, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? Well, I don't know if it's so much of a secret, but I did grow up in what many people consider to be a cult. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad to talk to you. I have so many (laughs) questions. Um, Where did you grow up? I grew up outside of New York City in a New York City suburb called Terrytown, New York. It's in Westchester County and lived there till I was about nine and then moved a little bit further upstate to Orange County, New York in a town called Port Jervis, New York. And we also lived in the New Jersey part of that tri-state area called Montague, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so that was from age nine through 12. And then when I was 12, I went to a boarding school in Seoul, South Korea, um, huge for change. two years, huge change. <laughs> and all of these, these, all these three places where I've lived, um, were related to this religious movement that I was a part of. It's called the Unification Church. Mm-hmm. And it was led by this Korean man named Reverend Sun Myung Moon. Uh-huh. And he, um, he had multiple locations throughout the country and the world, um, various hubs. But one of his biggest hubs was in in the Terrytown area in Westchester County. And um, two, he has 13 children and two of them rode horses. And so my dad and our family was like, relocated to this part in upstate New York where there was a big horse farm. Yeah. And then he, he was also this big business tycoon and then he owned the school in Seoul, Seoul, Korea, which is why I went to boarding school there. So it's just a little bit of a background on why those three locations. So you, when did you join it? Was your family already a part of it when you were, were born? How, how did it get started that you were a part of this cult. Yeah, I was born into it. And my my dad was recruited when he was 19. He was a sophomore, I think, at Tulane, New Orleans. What? And he was super accomplished. Like he was valedictorian at one of the most prestigious high schools in New Orleans. He had a full ride at Tulane. And um, he was recruited. Like he was, he just felt very compelled to join and they told him that there were that they needed him in New York, like mm-hmm. just because they need help, like fundraising and all that. So he like ran away from his family and joined this movement. And my mom is from Japan and she joined in Tokyo, I think, you know, when she was 20 or 21 um, in the late 60s. My dad 
my dad, it was 1974 when my dad joined, my mom joined in the late sixties and then mm-hmm. came over to New York. She was told, oh, there's, there's a one month big event happening in New York. We need, we need people over there. And my mom ended up staying in New York for 18 years before she saw her parents again. And she, when she saw her parents for the first time, I was, she had three kids and she was like married wow. three kids. Um, wow. I don't know. How it seems like they all cults. You always think like, like it's stupid people that join. It's actually really smart mm-hmm. people that do did your, have you had a discussion with your father? Why he joined or why your mom, why she joined? Yeah, I think that they were searching for something. They were searching for the truth and Mm -hmm. they thought that they were very idealistic people and they thought that this movement would help bring about what they called the kingdom of heaven on earth, like this ideal world where, you know, everyone was like happy and there was peace and they, oh God, they don't were, you wish that was true with humans? I know, right? Human beings, I know. Yeah. Um, so they were just very, they're very good idealistic people. Um, mm-hmm. but also like very inquisitive. My dad was like very intellectually smart, um, and was always in search for meaning of life and for truth in you know, whatever he was doing. And so they both just felt very called to it. Wow. And so you were born and then can you give us why it's considered a cult? Like what happened? Um, What, how was your upbringing? All of that? Cause I've never got to discuss that with anybody before. Yeah. It's um, I think maybe, maybe I have to look up the exact definition of a cult, but I think it's also related to like the size of the group too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, pe- I mean, people were, Reverend Moon, who was the leader of this movement or cult was almost like, he was like this magnet. He was very charismatic and he just like drew people in yeah. and people believed he was the Messiah. Everyone just believed everything that he said and thought that like he walked on water and, was like the best thing to happen to our world. Right. And so it's like this mentality of like, of like thinking that there's nothing wrong with this human and that he is like a God. That he is and not every, a flawed who, human like all of us out here. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and so everyone was, it was, everyone was like, I don't even know if it was like a spell, but everyone was just really captivated by him and, all sacrifice so much of their own personal happiness and their well-being to support him and this movement. My, my, I know my mom lived in a van for seven years. My dad also for a number of years, just, you know, traveling across the country, raising money for this movement. Um, while Reverend Moon was living in multiple mansions. Um, he also, you know, had a private plane, like he, you know, lived a very lavish life he had 13 children. They all, you know, lived very, um, very well. And, and all the we people all that worked in- for him, like barely had enough money for food oh. and didn't have houses, didn't have, usually don't you have to turn all your money over to whatever religion exactly. or cult. It's like Scientology and you give all your money away to these organizations slash, you know, yes, right. We, Yep, exactly. We were all living in like these communes. It was multiple families crammed into small homes. I'm sure we were breaking housing code and we would go to these like communal dinners. Um, Yeah, like we 
all of the money was was given to Robert Moon. And it was really especially tough because that part of New York in Westchester County, I mean, it was very affluent yeah. part of New York and we were so poor. So it was just embarrassing. Like I remember only having two pairs of pants um, when I was like in kindergarten and first grade and like they all, they had rips and like patches sewn onto them. And it was just, oh, I have a toddler. I know, I know those pants go fast. They just like, they oh get worn gosh. so quickly. So, yeah. So, you just, your upbringing was like hand me downs or wearing the same thing over and over again. Oh, not yeah. much food and not much food. Um, very, I mean, yeah, I have three younger sisters and it was the four of us in one room. Um, yeah, before before my youngest sister was born, we were all sleeping in like the same room, like with my parents. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah, we grew up with very little means. Um, but you know, and my parents made other sacrifices too, like they had to separate from us um to do fundraising for the church. So they would put all the babies, like when I was six or eight months old, um, she had she was, I was separated from my mom, which, you know, I'm not a mom, but I can imagine it was just gut, gut-wrenching for her to uh, experience that for, yeah. for six months. She was separated from me for six months when I was like a little baby. And cause she had to like go to Philadelphia or somewhere to like do more fundraising stuff. And so all the babies were like taken in like a nursery, um, together and yeah that's so funny because I was reading something else they separate the families they separate the moms from the babies so they're not that connection is kind of broken Mm. so they can then use the parents how they want to use the parents and that kids are kind of put on the side did the the community let's just call it a community cult community did it treat you the young girls different than the young boys do you know that um I think it was pretty equal but I do have to say that it was still like very traditional um in that I think I think everyone you know we all got like the same type of education Mm -hmm. and whatnot but I think that there was still this very traditional mindset just instilled amongst the parents like my 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 parents did not want me to go to medical school. They did not want me to become a physician. They wanted me to either be like a stay-at-home mom or a teacher or you know, I was, I played piano. So like, or like a piano teacher, something that was conducive to, you know, being a mom. Right. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> I don't know. So, so there were like a lot of traditional values, the unification church. I, I kind of, find a lot of similarities with that and like the Mormon religion. It's Mm. not quite Christianity. It's kind of like an offshoot of Christianity. Um, Like, like, you know, with Mormons, they have like the book of Mormon, like Reverend Moon wrote his own like interpretation of the Bible called the divine principle. So we had, we had that and it was, yeah, um, there were, I mean, it was interesting because it integrated a lot of ideas, not only from Christianity, but also from like Buddhism and Confucianism. Um, but there were still a lot of like traditional ideals in it. And it's um, like they picked and yeah. choose what they wanted to use and put it in their own book. What yes, exactly. And interpret it your own way. And I feel like a lot of religions, and I'm not religious, I'm very spiritual. Mm-hmm. I have a God, mm-hmm. people out there, but mm-hmm. I feel like people interpret what they want to interpret and how they want to interpret it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, apparently Robert Moon got um you know, revelation from Jesus. Jesus was the one who like sent him these messages. So that's what we grew up learning. Actually. So how long were you in 
in the cult. And when you, cause you went to boarding school for two years, how was that? Yeah. Well, so, you know, in addition to being this cult leader, you know, this person who led this religious movement, Reverend Moon was also a big business tycoon. And so he owned a bunch of random companies, including like the Washington times, which was a very conservative newspaper. Yeah. Um, And so he owned this performing arts school in Seoul and it was considered a privilege to be able to attend the school and learn Korean. We were taught that Korean is like the language of heaven. And so, so I, I got blessed with the opportunity to go to the school. Um, and that was, that was crazy in hindsight. I'm like, how did my parents like send me halfway across the world when I was, when I had just turned 12 and I was there for two years. I only came home for the summer in between those two years. Um, but they thought that, you know, it, it's like an honor to be able to attend the school, um, and learn Korean. How was it for um, you? being away. I honestly, I loved the experience. I have lifelong. You're like, it was, I was freedom, experience. freedom. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> I do have to say I had wonderful relationships with all these people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was cause it was an international school and I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I also really enjoyed living in Korea. I, I love Korean culture. I am half Japanese and half the people living in the dorm were from Japan. And I got to actually learn to become fluent in Japanese, just pick up a lot living there too. And it was, so I don't know, it was a great experience overall. Um, But yeah, I can't believe I was that young. And it was also performing art school and I I studied piano there, which is good experience too. And then you came back and how long were you a part of the cult still and is your family still a part of it like how what was that moment that changed yeah we my family is not in the cult anymore when I came back um my parents decided to send me to another boarding school that Robert Moon owned mm-hmm. in Connecticut mm-hmm. um I don't even know what it's called now I think it's called Bridgeport International Academy it was called New Eden Academy at the time okay And, um, my parents didn't think that I was, you know, getting the best influence from my friends at that school. Um, and so they wanted, (laughs) so stupid. (laughs) I was coming home with like rap CDs and they did not like that. I was listening to all these rap CDs and like, I was dressing a certain way and oh my god I love rap CDs I grew up in the south I love dirty rap music yes I was listening to a bunch of like Puff Daddy and Mace (laughs) and like I love Tupac like I was always yes yeah oh my god and I mean to this day like I love it um, yeah me too (laughs) never lost my love for it (laughs) and it's so funny it's so funny like they they just see like these warnings on the CDs, like parent or explicit, whatever. Oh yeah. Um, I remember label. these warnings. I was mm-hmm. like, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. It freaked my parents out so much. So, so they decided they were, you can't go there anymore because of those CDs. <laughs> yes, exactly. They just thought I was connecting with the wrong group of people, even though all these kids, all we were all born into this religious right. movement, this cult. Um, and Anyways, so I went to that and then I went to the local public high school my sophomore year. This was in Orange County, New York. Mm-hmm. And then that's when my dad realized that he did not want to be part of this religious group anymore. Was there something that happened or he just like, 
a revelation? Did some like take us through if you know? Yes, I think it was a culmination of like many, many different things. And I do want to also step back a little bit too, just to kind of give a background of how even my parents met because one of the tenets of the Unification Church is like uniting the world. And one of the big things that Reverend Moon is famous for is arranging all of these interracial marriages. And so my parents were in an arranged marriage. They were in a wedding ceremony with 3,000 other couples or 2,000 other couples in Madison Square Garden Arena, which is in Manhattan. And that was actually a smaller wedding, mass wedding. He's conducted multiple, even larger mass weddings since then. And it's just crazy that, you know, he, the, the people who are in this church just completely, you know, puts all their faith and trust in rubber moon to pick their spouse. And like my parents were, they were just that, um, just that devoted to this wow. movement. I and imagine I know. And so, you know, to them, like they made a lot of sacrifices. Like they, they're so different. Like my mom's from like the countryside in Japan, like super healthy, like vegetarian into like yoga and like hippie stuff. My dad's like a meat and potatoes, like Southern boy into football, but he's also super intellectual, like into philosophy and physics and but they like made it work. And so, I mean, just like they just gave so much of themselves to this church and my dad actually. So, so just getting to how my, we we ended up leaving. My dad gave so much of himself. Like he was one of uh, many uh, chauffeurs for Reverend Moon, as well as, as well as one of his many security guards. That was his Um, job, like his title. That was his job. Okay. Also he, he was very smart. He was very intellectual. And so he was also a tutor for Reverend Moon's children, his 13 children. So I would see my dad coming home with like textbooks, like physics textbooks and like Tolstoy novels and like writing their essays for them and like doing, like learning math to like, you know, um, tutor them with all that. (laughs) Yeah. Take their tests, write all their high school essays. They all went to like Ivy league schools. Um, and so, yeah, but the thing is, is that he was not treated well by most Mm. of them, by most of Reverend Moon's family. Um, Like a lot of these members, like just my parents' generation were very abused when they, for those who worked closely with Reverend Moon's family, Uh, there were definitely good people in the family, but there were also some who were quite abusive. And well, that's probably how they kept their power. You know, you used to like push down so they, there won't be an uprise. So you, you know, you mentally and physically and, you know, emotionally abuse the help they would say, you know, to keep them in their place. Definitely. Um, Yeah. And it was just, it's like slavery. It's a little bit oh, like slavery. Totally. Slavery. Right? And like you can't say anything about it because like we're taught that they're like the chosen one, but they're like the Messiah and the Messiah's family. So it's yeah. like you can't say anything. It's like just like royalty too. Like if they're like a king or like a prince, like you can't like talk back to them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's just crazy, like the way that they treated all of our parents. And did you see I think, them treat your dad bad? Did you ever witness that? No, I've just heard stories. Got it. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one of Reverend Moon's children, so I think one of the things that really was an impetus for why my dad left, I think he felt like his life was in danger. So 
one of Reverend Moon's children Mm -hmm. was cheating on her husband. And my dad was assigned to like, not stalk her, but like sit outside her house, like park in front of the house and see if she was indeed like staying at this man's house. And he did. He like stayed there all night, like in his car, because he was like following orders. And he reported back to like Reverend Moon's firsthand man that like saying like, yes, she was there like all night. And um, Reverend Moon confronted his daughter about it. Mm-hmm. and was like how did you know they're like well mark saw and it was, so it's like just you know like he was just thrown under the bus like totally you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> blame mark she, mark over there yeah, exactly caught you not um, me i didn't put him on you or anything he just saw you exactly <laughs> and and so she of course was like just so infuriated by the whole situation and was so upset with my dad and was my dad, I think was actually scared for his life. Like, cause yeah. I think she also had some mental issues too. And I think she was like giving him death threats and whatnot. And I think he was just scared for like our whole family, but that's like the kind of abuse that he like had undergone. And he just, it was like the last straw. Yeah. And so he decided to, you know, relocate all of us um, to new Orleans, his hometown and so he just left, picked up and left. Did he tell anybody where he went? Did he turn in a notice? What do you do? Oh, how do you get out? Like how you yeah, get I mean, out well. He, yes. Fortunately, it wasn't, I don't think it was like that crazy where they'll like run after you or like do bad things to you. Um, yeah. I think he, he, he did mention it that he was leaving, but he still left quietly, but, mm-hmm. um, but he did mention it. And, and, you know, the Unification Church does have like different, um, different bases actually throughout the country. So there, there, so there is a small group in New Orleans too. But when we first moved back to New Orleans, he, he kind of didn't want to be involved with that at all. Um, but we slowly became like kind of peripherally involved a little bit. I mean, I don't know, not totally, but but my dad, so your dad got out and your mom said, okay, I'm coming. I'm, I'm out to peace out. Like, see ya. Yeah. My, my mom just kind of like went along with it. I think she also was hearing all the stories and all the things that he was going through. My mom went through a lot too. Mm-hmm. And she actually knew early on that this, that, that, yeah, the people running the show were crazy. Something, something wasn't, uh, something was something, amiss. You know, something you're wasn't like, right. Something is not mm-hmm. right in this situation, but you don't have anywhere to go or you're so used to it or you just yeah. make excuses and ignore you, your intuition, all that stuff that we do to make it okay with what's going right. on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know I felt bad because she's like this very quiet Japanese woman. And I think she's had to suppress her voice a lot too and just kind of like went along with the motions it had to be I think she already wanted to leave even before my dad did but you know she waited till my dad said something or did something was there a grieving Um, period that happened in your house you know when you usually something ends like that there's a grieving period mm -hmm. or a depression did you feel that Mm -hmm. from your family or yourself because or did you not care as like what you were like 15 or how old were you when yeah I was I was 16 yeah I was about 16 I, so my, my, I think my parents were happier. Maybe my younger sisters were too. Yeah. I, I didn't actually really assess it. I think my dad, you know, it, it, he then started to experience a different kind of stress because he never, 
he never really established a career for himself. So now it's like, he's mm. on his own trying to find a career in new Orleans, um, to support a family of six. I remember his first job he got back, he was making 30,000 a year to support all of us. Um, that was still more than what he was making being in the unification church, but still just crazy to think about. I'm like, man, I can't take care of my, my own self for 30 K a year. <laughs> but, um, but I was honestly very unhappy when we left. I was so unhappy because to me, it was a huge part of like my upbringing, my culture, like all my closest, closest friends are in it. Mm-hmm. Cool thing is that I'm still very, very good friends with them. Like most of my closest friends aren't really super involved in it. Um, and But some of them are. Are some of them some, still? Yeah. I mean, the ones that I'm truly friends with are aren't really involved with it right um everyone's kind of moved away from it but uh at the time my dad was like one of the first people to 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 do that um and I was so upset with him I was really angry because I wanted to be with my friends and yeah um he wouldn't even let me like fly to visit them um yeah if there were like different church events happening and yeah, so I, I had a hard time with it. And we ended up going to this all girls Catholic high school in New Orleans. And I was just like confused. I was like, what is this? Um, but I mean, the adjustment was fine. Like the everyone at the new school was so nice. But I was in terms of like my own like religious views, I was still not sure because my parents were still very religious, um, very conservative. Um but I would just like, wasn't sure what exactly like their main, like what, I don't know what the belief system was exactly. Yeah. Cause they left the um, church. So you're like, do you still believe in it or do you believe in some of it or, but they're still mm-hmm. very conservative. So it was mm-hmm. probably confusing just to be that age and like, where do I fit in the world? Where do we fit in the world now? Cause everything I knew is gone. Taken. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when was that moment then you actually were like, oh, my parents made the right decision that we were in a cult. Like, did you have that moment? (laughs) Um, I did. Yes, I did. I remember thinking like, oh, I'm so glad. (laughs) Maybe it was end of college or end of college. Did you read something about it? Or like what? It had to be something where you're like, oh, that was really messed up. I think there were a bunch of little things. So one of the big things for anyone who was born into the movement, what they call second generation, we had to follow in our parents' footsteps of doing like the fundraising. Like they lived in vans for multiple years to fundraise. And so, so we all had to enter this program. I didn't because we left when I was 16, but before Mm -hmm. starting college, you enter this two year program where you also, you know, drive around in a van, but you stay in hotels. Um, to fundraise for the church. It was a two-year program. And I wanted to do that so bad. I wanted, I, I felt like I was, I was having major FOMO because I, I saw all my friends doing it and like creating these amazing bonds with each other and getting to travel to all these different states. And <laughs> my dad was like, you are absolutely not doing that. And I was so resentful towards my dad. And he's like, you're going to college. And I was like, so mad at my dad that he was like, like I want to travel in a van with a bunch yeah. of people and go fundraise. <laughs> like, oh my God. Go and, knock on um, people's doors. I don't even know how you fundraise, but you're like, 
give us money for no. our cult. <laughs> yeah. You knock on people's doors and you sell them like some cheap ass item, like wind chimes or flowers or, you know, Oh, um, okay. Mm-hmm. they were really famous for selling flowers back in like the seventies and eighties, um, selling flowers on the corners of the street. Got it. And you were so um, angry. They took that dream away from you. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> and so, so it finally, like maybe at the end of college, I was like, oh, wow. Like, I'm very glad that I did not do that, that I'm like on this path of where I'm going with my life. I love it. I love that you like go of the FOMO and stepped into like, oh, actually this is a better livelihood than going to fundraise for a church that actually doesn't care about me and probably just using humans to, you know, have their mansions. Yeah. Right. Well, and I also, um, reconnect with some friends at the end of Mm -hmm. college. Like I ended up getting a plane ticket and meeting up with so many, so many of them. And so, and our friendships were like strong as ever. I think we, I think they were also sort of like seeing the light a little bit too. And, um, I, I probably said, said like various crazy things about this church, but at the same time, like, I'm so thankful that I had the life that I did. Cause it was just kind of crazy and has given me a different perspective. And the friendships that I've made are like just irreplaceable. I, I, I feel bad for like my parents. And of course, like I wouldn't want my children to grow up in a situation where they were like really poor and struggling and Taken advantage um, in that of way, taken advantage of for sure. Um, yeah. there were so many, so many sad things. Um, but I'm I'm glad that I could like take some some good things from it too, and that yeah. it wasn't all a loss. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes the darkest things are the things we go through is what you know, makes us the person we are today, and that you can have compassion and empathy if someone is stuck in a situation or a bad relationship or a yeah. cult similar or a religious situation mm-hmm. that they are, mm-hmm. you know, not happy in. And if someone's listening mm-hmm. right now, this is my last question for you. If someone mm-hmm. is listening and they are in a bad situation or a group of people are are stuck where they feel like it's a cult, what would be your advice for them if they're struggling? Yeah, I would say that to if you feel like you're stuck, if if you're like ashamed or you, you don't feel like what you're doing is aligned, it's it's sometimes hard to find the courage to like to leave on your own. Um, and I really, I really did seek help of of others to to give me the courage um, and motivation to leave. So I mean, yeah, I would say don't don't put all this pressure on yourself. There are people out there who can help. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us and sharing what you yes. went through. It's so fascinating. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.